0: We're going to start with something a little different today. Some of you, some of you may have enjoyed that. S- some of you have, may have been miserable that whole time. Uh, let's go to the next one. No, it's not working. Can you go to the next one, Connor? <clears throat> yeah, this is going to fight me this whole time. I bet. <sighs> okay. I. How many of you thought, like, I wonder what's going to happen in this video that we're watching? Like, is there something going to happen? Is, is an animal going to pop out from behind a rock? Or is he going to meet someone on the way? Or is like, is, is anything going to happen in this video? The answer is, nope. Nothing happens. That video I just found on YouTube, it's like an hour and a half long. And it's literally just a man walking on this trail. And I just picked like a three-minute clip and I thought I would torture you, torture you with about two minutes of it before I started talking. But it makes me, it makes me wonder. When, when was, you don't have to raise your hands or I don't, we don't need to take an actual formal poll. When was the last time you went for a walk in nature where it was like that? You're not next to a road. You're just, all you can hear is your feet crunching on the trail, and birds or the wind. It may have been a while. Here in Michigan, the winters kind of put that out of commission. When was the last time you walked to the store instead of drove your car to the store? When was the last time you had a conversation with someone while you were walking from one place to another? Oh, sorry. I wanted to play this video because... I have been more and more and more convicted about our pace of life and what it has done to us. As time goes on, I start to see this shocking difference between the way that Jesus lived. I'm talking about literal the way he lived day to day and the way we live. And if I said, hey, how many of us want to live like Jesus? I'm I'm guessing most of our hands would go up. But when we say live like Jesus, we think like righteousness and holiness and connection to God. And that's good. That's fine. But I have just been more and more convicted about the actual way we live is vastly different than anything that you will see in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that we have to like Sell your house and go, you know, live in a hut somewhere. But I, there are some important lessons I want to learn. So th- what we're going to do is start a series called Along the Way. And we are going to try to get in touch with a couple things. How different we live fr- from the way Jesus lived. And then we're going to learn some lessons as we go. This is going to be a month-long series. It's going to take us up through Palm Sundays next week, if you didn't know, Palm Sunday. Then Easter and then the week after Easter. And I I truly believe that if we can learn how to slow down and ask ourselves some very important questions, it has a transforming power. I am going to recommend these two books. I don't know why they're not coming up on the screen. These two books, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and An Unhurried Life. Well, I just wanted to pull out two quotes and I wanted to read them to us. John Mark Comer says this in The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. And that might go completely against everything that you have taught yourself or been taught about our modern day culture. Uh, Here's another one from The Unhurried Life and Unhurried Life. I'm going to restart this. I wonder about those people who have expressed disappointment in their years of busyness. Not business, (laughs) busyness. Their years of faithfully laboring at what they were told would result in their maturity and spiritual growth, only to find that they were more busy than they were rooted in Christ and growing in him. Such dissatisfaction is evidence that there wasn't much spiritual life in their efforts. That is super convicting. But what we have been taught in the modern, especially Western culture, American culture, is that, man, if you slow down, you are wasting your life. Has anyone ever said, Guys, I said this so you can. I said this too. Don't don't be. I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> yep. No, I don't take naps. I don't. I, I I get my. I get very little sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Um, except when you're. You won't enjoy it when you're dead, and it won't help you wake up and live a productive life. I want us to really think about this. We're going to look at these four weeks. We're going to look at these four. ...times of going uh, towards the end of Jesus' ministry. But there's two things that I want us to remember... ...about all of these lessons that we're going to look at. All of these stories are about disciples of Jesus... ...sometimes with Jesus, sometimes without Jesus. Disciples of Jesus moving from one place to another. Okay? Usually walking, as we're going to see. But this is integral to the lifestyle. If you want to get from Jerusalem to Jericho... You can't jump in your car. I mean, it would be a very fast car ride. You can't jump on a train. or anything. You literally, either you need to get on an animal or you need to walk. And Jesus did this a lot. Or they got into a boat if they were going across the Sea of Galilee. But, but we were moving from one place to another. And I feel like I have a car. I'm not going to sell my car. But I feel like we don't do this anymore. In our cars, we like magically teleport to another place. Whereas someone back in the Bible would have to travel, like intentionally put one foot in front of the other and travel. The other thing, though, is this, and this is important, that on their way from their origin to their destination, they find something. Something happens. They're taught something. They meet someone. They see something that is more important than where they were going. And that will make sense, and it will be a different thing every week. And so here are the four weeks that we're going to look at. Approaching, that's today. Entering, discovering, and leaving. And so approaching is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three interactions that Jesus had with his disciples on the way to Jerusalem. This is on the way, the last time going to Jerusalem. Like, he's going to go, he's going to spend a week there, and then he's going to be uh, arrested and murdered. And, he ha- and I- on the way, he had these three interactions we're going to look at. Next week, we're going to look at entering. This is Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus is entering Jerusalem on the donkey and the palm branches, and they're putting the coats down. Remember that? To a lot of the people there, that was supposed to be the finish line for a king, the Messiah, reclaiming his kingdom. But it wasn't the finish line, and it was very confusing to them. And then we're going to look at discovering. This is Easter Sunday. We're going to look at the discovery of the empty tomb. The women are going there. In their mind, they're going to take care of a dead body. And yet they meet an angel who gives them shocking news. And then I want to keep going past Easter because there's another awesome story that happens after uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And that is leaving when the disciples, there's two disciples who leave to go to Emmaus, and it's this long walk, and on the way, they actually have an interaction with the risen Lord, Jesus. And they walk with him, and they talk with him. And that story is there for us to glean from. So, this is what we're going to be looking at for this month. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 20. Matthew 20 is where uh, these, all of these stories are going to take place. It starts in Matthew 20, verse 17. It starts with, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside. Go to that one. That's verse 17. We're going to start reading there, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to ask us some questions. Now, all of the like slowness, stillness, that's not what the lesson is about today. But, as I hopefully I can make this very clear at the end... The questions that we're going to be asking ourselves today almost require you to slow down. They require some self-reflection that maybe you have not exercised in many years because you've just been too busy. And so here we are, we're going to jump right into it. The f- point number one, the first story, we're going to look at the truths we reject in Matthew 20, verse 17. This is what it says. 17 through 19. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, you might... If you've never read the Bible, the whole Son of Man thing might be weird, but this is how Jesus commonly referred to himself. He referred to himself as the Son of Man, which is a reference to Daniel, which is basically him telling people who are listening, I am the Messiah. But he he usually used this language, I am the Son of Man. And so what happens in this instance is they're walking up to Jerusalem. They are traveling, and Jesus takes this opportunity to communicate some very deep truth to them. He drops some very heavy truth on them. And I don't know what they thought about it in the moment as they were saying it. Sometimes I imagine them going like, oh, okay, uh-huh, oh, okay. And then be like, what does that mean? <laughs> Maybe they totally understood it. And they're like, wow, we're we're getting ready to go into battle. Maybe they thought that. Maybe they perfectly understood what he was saying. But whatever they thought in the moment, we know that later they forgot it and they rejected it. Even up to the Last Supper. When Jesus says in Matthew 26, hey, this very night all of you will fall away on account of me. And Peter's like, even if everybody leaves, I ain't leaving. And Jesus is like, oh, you're so silly. (laughs) And so what we have here is, again, they're traveling up to Jerusalem. The disciples were probably in all sorts of different states of thinking. And yet, Jesus says, hey, hey, guys, I'm going to do a little pull aside right here. And I just want you to know what's about to happen. I'm going to be arrested, flogged, murdered. I'm going to raise from the dead. And yet, what we see later is that they rejected this very deep truth about Jesus. And so I have a question for you, and I'm going to have this at the end of every point. What is the truth about Jesus that I have been rejecting? If Jesus did a pull aside with you right now, and said, hey, I know life's busy. Come around here. I'm going to take this time to pull you aside, and I want to... I want to give you some truth about who I am and about our relationship and about life. You would you probably think that whatever Jesus told you, you would accept 100% and you would move forward in that truth. The reality is, not only did the disciples not do that, but we also reject the truth about Jesus in the Bible regularly. If I say, hey, Jesus loves you, you might go, yeah, I know. <laughs> but you reject the deep spiritual implications of Jesus' love on a regular basis. If I say, hey, Jesus wants a covenant relationship with you. He wants to partner with you to like, change the world. You might be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but we reject the deep spiritual truths at work in that statement. If I say, hey, Jesus does not want you just to like, get good at being religious. He, doesn't want, he wants you to stop polishing up your church mask and learning how to like, put on a good show. That is a truth about Jesus that I rejected for a long time. If Jesus pulled me aside and said, hey, Ben, I believe in you. I believe in your ability." To live a life of discipleship and be a good example to people. Be a good example to, to your, your wife and your kids and other people. I believe in you. I'd be like, mm, probably not. Who am I? I mean, like, I'm not that special. And so there are truths all throughout the Bible that we reject. And you might be like, well, I never, I, I don't word it that way. But God makes promises all throughout the Bible that we regularly don't take to heart. Can Jesus see the good in you? Yes, he can. If he can see the good in a messed up person like you, can you see the good in in other people? Or are you only seeing the worst in people? Are you only seeing the worst in your spouse? Are you only seeing the worst in your kids, others around you? It's because we are rejecting the truth about who Jesus is and the role he wants to have in our lives. And so the time that it's going to take for us to deeply meditate on this question alone, we don't have here. But this is why we need to change the way we live so that we have still quiet time to even think. Like, man, what are the truths about Jesus That I'm not taking to heart. I'm living as though I think they're lies. I'm living as though I reject them. And that that answer might not be coming to you right now. It's because we're so busy and we never have time to self reflect. We're going to keep going. The lies we believe. So here's, we're going to keep reading. He has that pull aside where he drops some heavy truth on his disciples. And they're like, oh, okay. And he's like, let's keep walking. (laughs) And then the next thing happens. Go back to Matthew 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. That's James and John. And kneeling down, he asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when he says, hey, you will, you will drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from. Uh, that's true. That's true. James, this is tradition, this isn't biblical, but tradition holds that James was martyred. He was murdered by a Roman um, well actually by Herod, Herod Agrippa. And the story goes that James was trying reaching out to someone, and that, that person uh, ratted him out, snitched on him, so that he was taken into custody. But, but James's faith and an unwillingness to, to bend was so strong that the guy that, he, that, that turned him in, the guy he was like, I love you, he ratted him out, he's like, I still love you. And so it came time for the, the execution. And the guy became a disciple and said, well, kill me also. That's the story. It's, they, were be, they were beheaded together. And so Je, Je, um, Jesus is saying, you don't know what you're asking when you want honor and glory in my kingdom. You want to sit next to me? You don't know what that's going to entail. And they said, yeah, well, we can do that. And he said, you're going to do it, but man, you, you don't have a clue how hard that's going to be. And so now, Jesus pulls them aside because of this interaction. He, say, he says, you guys believe certain things that are not true about what honor and glory mean. And your mindset is like that of the pagans. It's like we gotta be different. You gotta stop believing all those lies about what is greatness. And so that begs the question for you. What are the lies about glory and honor that I am believing? I have wrestled with this a lot over my life. I remember as a, a kid, gosh, I would have these like wild fantasies about you know getting attention and like doing something that would like get lots of acclaim and ah, oh, finally people will recognize my greatness <laughs> I had an interview I don't know if I've told this story I had an interview set up this back when I was living in California and I was a photographer and someone a friend of a friend set up an interview with like the art director of Sony music in Santa Monica and they're like, hey, Ben, you should take your portfolio down. He'll sit with you, and he'll have a meeting. Guys, I can't ima- you can't even imagine what, where my brain went. I was like, I'm going to walk in. I'm going to show them my portfolio. And they're going to be so in awe of my talent as a 22-year-old person. They're going to be so in awe of my talent that they're going to whisk me. They're going to be like, do you have time? Do you have your passport? Do you have time? Let's, I'm going to whisk you away on a jet right now. You're going to go shoot these, like, album covers for all these musicians, and, and life will never be the same for you from this moment on because of you're so amazingly talented. I love that God, like, was always really good at making me look like an idiot in all of those moments when I thought I was going to look like, an, like, an, like a genius. I wake up that morning, get everything ready to go to my fancy meeting in Santa Monica with Sony Music, and I walk out, where is my car? I don't know where my car is. I call the police to report my car stolen. And they're like, no, idiot, it's been repoed. You didn't, pay your, you didn't pay your car note. So we came and got it. They, told, they called us and said, we're taking Ben Weatherston's car. So I borrow my parents' car to go to this meeting. And then the guy is like, Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have nice pictures. He's like, do you want to know how we actually do this business? I was like, sure. And he went through, he spent, he spent an hour, this guy was like really nice, but he spent an hour explaining to me how Sony Music, the Los Angeles division, hires photographers. And I could just feel my spirit being like crushed. Like, oh, so... I'm a nobody, is what you're saying, and he's like, "Yeah, you're a nobody." He's like, "If you want, I could put your portfolio in our library of portfolios." And I'm like, "Oh, that sounds great." He takes me into a warehouse filled with tens of thousands of portfolios of up-and-coming wannabe photographers. But I, I dreamed like, I will make it. This is what my life is going to be like. I, I can be famous. I can be po- successful. And then, and then it was crushed. It was devastated. I was, I was grateful. Now, now I'm grateful for that experience. But guys, we still believe those lies about what success is, about what glory is, about what honor looks like. We believe lies like, my money gives me worth. My credentials define me. I desperately need everybody to like me or respect me. If I'm humble, people will just take advantage of me. I'm not going to be humble. That's stupid. And even if they don't take advantage of me, they're going to think that I'm weak. Serving people is a waste of time. I'm too busy. My agenda is the main priority in my life. And that is literally what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to see. It's not about how many people serve you. It's about how many people you serve. Our society has built up this frantic pace of life to get us to believe that if we have more, if we do more, if we get more done, then we will be more. And it is all a lie. It has made us more stressed, less happy, more insecure, less trusting of people. When I was out in L.A., oh my gosh, guys. I didn't have good friends. I didn't have a good church family. I didn't have a good like network of people. It was literally like every person I laid eyes on was like, what can you do for me? How can I use you? And I know that you're thinking of the same thing about me, so I'm going to try to position myself as someone that could be helpful to you. And it was just, I eventually was like, I don't belong here. I can't, I can't live here. I need to go back to the Midwest. The test is to make sure that we're always going back to what Jesus said. How's my service? How am I serving others, including my family? Do people look at me and see a life that meets needs? Do people look at me and see a life that meets the needs of others? And guys, I'm going to be really honest, I'm not talking about your jobs right now. You might be like, oh, my job is very service-oriented. And I applaud you for that. That's admirable. But if your job stops paying you, you're going to stop showing up. It's not service. It's a transaction that you have for an amount of money, right? If your boss said, I so appreciate your work. You're doing such a good job serving this company. And then you didn't get another paycheck. You would be like, uh, excuse me. Where's my paycheck? They're like, well, you told us in our last staff, you know, our performance review that you love serving this company so much. So we took you seriously and we have decided that now you're a volunteer. And you're like, okay, I'm never coming back. <laughs> because you're not serving your company. You are working for your company. So you get paid for that. But outside of your job, do you serve people? And this is true for me too. Now we're in a, now we're in a role where it's like serving people could be seen as our job. But what... You know, if I didn't get paid, would I still do it? We had this talk with Lauren. Like, man, if you, wanna, if you ever want to go in ministry, you don't wait to get paid to serve people. Well, once you pay me, then I'll start meeting people's needs. That's a, that's a, that's a great sign that you do not belong in ministry. <laughs> but outside of your job, on your free time, do you serve people? And if the answer is, not much. Outside of my job, I go home and I chill. That's because you're believing lies about where glory, honor, fulfillment, self-satisfaction comes from. Jesus, along the way, we're on our way to Jerusalem. He's like, I got more lessons for you guys. Let's do a pull aside. We got one more. This is point number three. The voices that influence us. This is the... This is the the last little thing in in Matthew 20 here. Let's read this. Starting in verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a a large crowd followed them. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Gosh, we could do a whole sermon just on this. But I'm just pulling out this idea. They're still on the way. And Jesus, on the way, sees opportunities headed up to Jerusalem. They stop at Jericho. They're leaving Jericho. They're headed to Jerusalem. And these blind men start yelling at them. And we have several voices here. We have the voice of the men. Right? Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And then we have the voice of the crowd. And the crowd rebukes them, tells them to be quiet. The crowd tried to silence the men. The men ignored the crowd. And Jesus stopped and had compassion on them. But imagine if the men had listened to the crowd. Imagine if, the, if the, they were like, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And they're like, shut, shut up. And they're like, oh, sorry. I need to know. He doesn't want to talk to us. He doesn't want to help us. But they yelled even louder. And, and imagine if Jesus didn't listen to them. But it begs a question. Because we have so many voices in our lives. We did a lesson with the campus on Friday. It was a midweek that I did last year about like leaving the crowd and the, the importance of silence in our lives and friends. But we have so many voices in our lives. Which ones get our attention? Which ones influence us? And what stirs our compassion? So put yourself in the the position of the blind men. Put yourself in the position of the crowd. Would that be you? Would you be the one to tell these men to shut up? Put yourself in the position of Jesus. When the need arose and the opportunity was there, his compassion was stirred. And so that's our last question. What are the voices that influence me? And again, I think if you gave me an answer right now, I would probably tell you, thank you, but you need to think about that a lot more. You need to spend some time thinking about the answer to this question. Media, including social media, coworkers, classmates, family, church family, the Bible, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit. There are tons of voices in our lives. Some we should listen to, some we should not listen to. But I don't know if we always make the right choices in regards to the influence that people have over us. I love in Hebrews 12:1, when he says, Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's like we have good influences, good voices in our life, bad influences, bad voices in our life. How do we navigate that? Sometimes we get annoyed like the crowd. We harden our heart to people's hurt or suffering. And our compassion is not stirred like Jesus. If your life, I'm going to say this, this is interesting. If your life is too busy to pray, you are kind of like the blind men listening to the crowd and shutting up. Not calling out to Jesus, but listening to the crowd. Because like the blind men, we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and ignore all the noise. There's just so much noise in our lives. So I want to put these three questions on the screen. This morning, what are the truths you are rejecting? The lies you are believing and the voices that influence you. And I don't think we even realize how much we have to slow down to start contemplating these questions. My fear, honestly my fear, is that most people alive today don't even know how to begin to answer these questions. It requires more reflection, more self-awareness, more honesty, and more humility than I think our society will ever produce in us. If you spend all day rushing from place to place with nonstop noise being pumped into your eyes and ears. Allowing the stress of life to guide your every move. You'll never be able to devote the time and energy and reflection that it's going to take to answer these questions. But the answers to these questions can determine the whole course of your life. They determine your peace, they determine your joy, they determine your faith, they determine your ability to love, they determine your ability to serve. And guys, if you know, like I've said at the end of almost every sermon for the last two years, this would be the time where I'd be like, and you should have someone in your life you can talk to about these things. And you should, have, you should talk to about this with someone else. But honestly guys, I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to be very honest right now. I, I really don't have much faith that we even have set aside time in our lives to have a conversation about this. You've probably got back-to-back, back to back, back back appointments. And any free time that we do have, we're going to fill with entertainment and escape. So we don't have to think about anything. I'm I'm convicted when I think about this. I'm trying to convict you. (laughs) I hope that you are convicted. As we go along for these next four weeks, the next three weeks after this, I want us to see that Jesus and his disciples and everybody we read in the Bible had a much Slower pace of life than we have here in 2022 America. And that slower pace opened up way more opportunities to teach and to learn. And what do we do with our time? We're on our phones. We're having our music. We have our AirPods in our ears all the time. We're listening to music. We're listening to our podcasts. We're binging Netflix series. We're social media scrolling. And a million other things that keep us from actually reflecting on what is important in life. And so, here's my promise. If we can take the next four weeks and try to set aside some time to literally just think about your life sit and stare out the window for a half hour. You might be like, I'm too busy. That is so true. You are too busy. If you're too busy to think about your relationship with God, you are too busy. So let's try to slow down. We're going to see all the things that, if we were with Jesus, he would pull us aside and try to teach us. He would take opportunities to, to Help us see spiritual truths. And so next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And like I said, they thought they understood what was happening, and then Jesus had a different plan. Then the next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And we're used to having a good, like, happy celebration Easter Sunday with fluff. But again, it was they thought they knew what was happening, and it was not happening that way. And then lastly, we're going to look at these disciples and Jesus actually comes and has a long walk and talk with them on the road to Emmaus. And there's so many lessons there. And so at, that, at this time, I have asked Steve Mask to do our uh, communion today. And so guys, I'm, I'm really excited for what this uh, series is going to produce in us if we can set aside that time to meditate. Amen. Thank you, guys.